0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host Anthony Whittaker and it's great to have you here with me today. I'm really lucky in lots of ways and in a professional sense I'm lucky because I get to interview lots of great people on the podcast and have these sort of in-depth probing conversations with salon owners and others that have a vested interest in the industry. As a result, It sort of gives me an insight into what's happening, not just at a local level, but also from a much wider perspective. And that gives me the opportunity to observe trends unfolding as they happen, and then to bring them directly to you. So today, I wanna talk a little about some of the changes I'm seeing in the industry and what that means or could mean, as well as the opportunities it creates for all of us. Now, I know that some people are having challenging times, but I also know that other people are seeing great opportunities unfold and there's exciting times ahead and they are embracing changes to their business and their way of working with great success. So in this podcast, I'm not going to talk directly about COVID because I think we all acknowledge the impact that it has had. Having said that, we need to start looking forward and creating the future that we want while acknowledging where we currently are as both individual salons and individuals, and as an industry as a whole. So over the last two years, there's been a lot of changes in the world. As we get towards the end of 2021, there are four questions that I want to address in this podcast. The first one is what is the impact that the last couple of years have had on salon owners? Now, some have pivoted their business model and are benefiting from the changes. For example, I did a podcast recently, it was podcast number 112 with David Brodsky and Philippe Santos, who have salons in New Jersey. And they're a great example of positive change that have come out of COVID. They've changed their way of working. They were forced to because of social distancing, et cetera. And because they had small salons, they had to open longer hours and longer days. And what they found, is that it works. It works for them as the owners. It works for the clients and it works for their team. So what they now do is they have essentially two very different shifts and all the staff work one of those shifts. And each shift means that they do a three-day week, uh, which are all 10-hour days, and then they'll do alternate Sundays. So, for example, they might do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then alternate Sundays, or the other shift is Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and alternate Sundays. So what that does is it it gives them quite a bit of downtime. And and for a lot of people, it's that freedom, that autonomy, that flexibility about, you know, balancing their work life with their personal life, which is exactly what they need. So it's not all bad that have come out of the last uh, couple of years. There's lots of positive stories as well. Many other salons, though, I totally get, are experiencing staffing crisis, and I I know that, okay, so I don't want to be flippant about that. In many cases, staff haven't come back, and they the salons are now in a, a rebuilding phase. But the challenge of having lost a lot of staff and now being in a rebuilding phase is that in many cases, they simply can't find staff, because perhaps there's less people entering the industry than ever before, and if they're looking for senior people, there's other business models at play, which we'll talk about later on. So the result is is that many salons are just hanging on. Some salons, you really have to take your hat off to the owners because they've hung on during some really challenging times, but now they're weighed down with debt to landlords and business and personal loans and all the implications that come with that because obviously they've got to pay it back. we now reached a time where pretty much everywhere furlough has ended. Eviction protection schemes from landlords because you haven't paid the rent, pretty much they have ended. And as a result, people are back in their businesses, but like I say, in some cases, they're short staff. So salon revenue is down. The margins are tighter, but they still have these loans to pay back. They still have debts that have to be paid back. And then to compound that even more, inflation is starting to become a real issue in most Western countries. And then in some sections of the media, as if it's not tough enough for people, they're talking about 2022 as being the year of the great resignation. God knows what that even means. But anyway, here's the thing. We are a very resilient industry. And many salon owners are optimistic and they're looking at ways to adapt their business model for a new way of working. And so strong leadership and management skills are now more important than ever. It's easy to focus on everything that's wrong. It's easy to focus on the downside. But what we really have to do as leaders and managers is we really, more than ever, have to be looking at the glass half full and looking at the opportunities that are Um, about, as opposed to looking at all the things that are holding us back. The second question I want to pose is, what is the impact that the last couple of years have had on the traditional salon business model? Now, change is always happening to business models anyway, but the last two years have accelerated that change, and they've forced people To make decisions that maybe they were putting off or just didn't feel the need that they had to make a decision one way or the other. But what's happened during the last two years is decisions have been sort of forced on people that you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with this. So no longer can they dabble, should I do this or should I do the other? And a really good example is the fact that we now have a lot more independent contractors in the industry no matter where you are, and whether you call them salon suites or freelancers or mobile or self-employed or independents or booth renters or chair renters or the business unit of one or co-working spaces, whatever you want to call it, essentially, I know they're different, but essentially they're all about independence. They're all about the business unit of one. You see, the rise of the independent movement does get a lot of airplay but the commission or more traditional salon business model isn't going to go anywhere. Sure, it has shrunk considerably, but that leaves the, the better players in the market in a position to build stronger businesses. But salon owners and managers everywhere really need to lift their game and fight back, so to speak, and reinvent how the salon business of today needs to work in a modern way, so that it's a win for everybody. And when that happens, maybe there'll be a swing back in the other direction. Because I really believe that as human beings, and as hairdressers, that we're very much social beasts. And the idea of working as part of a team and that sense of camaraderie and and community is a very strong thing. I'm not saying that I think the independent business unit of one is a bad thing. I'm just saying that at different times of your life, that different business models are a better fit than at other times of your life. Either way, both business models are relevant, but traditional ways of working and employing people are changing. And you need to look for ways to pivot your business model so that it works for you as an owner and for your team. And sometimes when I say pivot, They're only subtle changes, but constantly evolving and subtly changing the way you work and the, the, the way you generate revenue and the way, you know, your team work for you and with you. Making changes like that consistently over a period of time is sometimes what you need to be doing. We're also starting to see new business models. Now, some you'll like and some you may not like. For example, I've come across a couple of salons recently that are effectively operating as like an agency for hairdressers now they're also traditional salons but they have like an an agency component to their menu of services and what i mean by that is that some clients have got used to the idea of someone coming to their house and maybe because they're still potentially some of these people might be you know shielding through health issues they want to continue for that to happen and so I know of a couple of salons that are now operating a service where clients can book a hairdresser from the salon to come to their home and there'll be a, a premium price charged. And obviously, because the salon is working in the agency capacity, that they will take a, a fee and the hairdresser will also get a fee. The benefit for the client is that they, they know that it's a legit business, so to speak. They know that you know insurance is in place and all those sort of things that Oftentimes, people that are freelancing um, and just think it's a great idea to go to someone's home to cut their hair, that they forget about all those things. So, you know, I can see why, as an emerging business model, that that has an appeal to some people. The other business model that I see happening is that more salons are looking at ways of changing how they price their services and probably the, the one that I'm seeing you know, more salons embrace is that they're charging for time as opposed to charging just for the specific services on the price list. Now, I don't want to get into that in detail at the moment because I've already done a couple of podcasts on it where I've gone into quite a lot of detail. So if you want to find out more about Charging for time is a different business model, then check out podcast number 110 that I did with Vicky and Jane from Read Hair, because we pretty much talked about charging for time for the entire length of the podcast. We also, in podcast number 98 with Toby and Amanda from the chapel, we spoke to them about charging for time, because that is very much at the core of their business model. So the third question that I want to ask you is, what is the impact that these changes are having on the client? We've already touched on some of them. For example, the reality is, is that some clients still haven't come back to the salon for a whole raft of reasons. Clients today, I believe, still want that affordable luxury experience. They want service and they want safety. Let me give you an example of that. i a I'm a hairdresser, but I'm also a client. I go to many different salons just as a mystery client who wants a haircut. But it's a very interesting exercise to do. And I went to one recently, and I had been there before, and I won't go back again because it doesn't matter whether, whether it doesn't matter whether I've got someone at home who might be you know particularly vulnerable who is sheltering or not. They don't know that. But as a consumer, and I don't, OK, but as a consumer, when I go into public spaces like salons, restaurants, whatever, I would expect them to be offering a certain level of professionalism and sanitation and hygiene and sort of, you know, health precautions to ensure that I was relaxed and protected and that they were protected. And um, that it was a safe environment. Now, unfortunately, the salon I went into was anything but that. There was absolutely no attention to detail in any of those areas. And I was shocked to the point of where I nearly got up and left. And in hindsight, I wish I had got up and left. It would have made a much better podcast. But I didn't get up and left. But as I walked out of there, I thought, well, I just simply would not go back there again. Now, I'm just one client. I'm not gonna go into detail about why it was so bad, but trust me, it was just bad. It was as if, you know, the last two years had never happened. And the reality is, is that the last two years have happened. And it has made consumers, it has made our clients more cautious and more aware of the safety and hygiene standards that are around them. Clients have also got used to the one-to-one level of service. Now, in many cases, they started to experience that because of the social distancing thing and the, you know, uh, trying to have as few people as possible in contact with the client. But what's come out of it is that clients have gone, you know, what? I enjoy this. I enjoy one person checking me in and the same person shampooing me and the same person cutting my hair and the same person colouring my hair and the same person seeing me out. So the one-to-one level of service is something that maybe as hairdressers that we don't always like. But the consumer, the client, has very much gone, I like this. This is good. The other thing that's happening is that clients, or salons, I should say, are often saying that they're now seeing less clients, but they have a higher average bill. Now, again, I did a podcast that was number 106 with Sue Ahrens, who runs the uh, Studio B business in Colorado. And uh, we were talking about uh, this, um, you know, phenomena, so to speak, uh, on the podcast because Sue had quite a significant increase in average bill, even though the client uh, count was down. And I was asking her, is that because you would made a concerted effort to say to your team that because the client counts down, we really have to maximize the potential with every client in terms of upselling products and services, et cetera, Or was it because of something else? And Sue basically said, look, it might be a little bit of that, but I think it's also because of the fact that the client isn't being passed from person to person and that the stylist is more focused on their client from beginning to end. And so they are maximizing the opportunity with every client in terms of offering them the full range of products and services that the salon has available. So the fourth And final question that I wanted to put to you is, what is the impact or what impact are these changes having on the salon staff? You see, I think what's happened, not just in our industry, but every industry, is that over the last couple of years, people have been reassessing their life. They've been reassessing the work-life balance. They've been reassessing how hard they work and perhaps how little time they have for other pursuits. You can't also ignore the fact that the reality is that in some cases, people actually don't want to work anymore. Face it. If you give them two options, let's say that option A is go to work to earn a living. And option B is take the money and sit on the couch at home watching Netflix. Well, it may not be you and it sure as hell isn't me, but a lot of people quite like option B and they literally don't want to work. Now, obviously that can't last. And I'm sure we'll see more of a return of uh, many, not all, but many, if not most, of those people into the industry. On top of that, you also have to acknowledge that many hairdressers have been working in people's homes. Now, whether they've been doing it legally or illegally is another conversation, and it varies from state to state and country to country. But a lot of those hairdressers that have been doing that are quite liking the freedom They're liking the autonomy, the flexibility, and yes, they're liking the money. And in some cases, that money is all tax-free. Not in all cases, but in some cases. So you're seeing this increase in a mobile workforce. You're seeing more freelance. You're seeing more self-employed. And as I say, it was happening anyway, but that's been accelerated in the last two years. So we've got more one-to-one working, Because independent contractors don't employ assistants as a generalization, it's creating another problem. Less salons are also taking on assistants or apprentices. So therefore, there are less opportunities for people coming out of beauty school and coming out of apprenticeships or for people who want to get into an apprenticeship. So that's a a looming problem for us everywhere. Another problem is that there's something like 80% of people in our industry do not last two years. Now, I'm always dubious about statistics. With every statistic I hear, I ask myself, yeah, where's that from? And, And often, if you dig a bit deeper, you might decide that they're not very well researched. But a statistic like that feels about right. And when I talk to people in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, a lot of people will say, yeah, that feels about right. So even if you don't necessarily believe it, ask yourself, what if it is true? Why do 80% of people not last two years in this industry? Well, I think that one of the reasons, in fact, possibly the main reason, is that their expectations, are unrealistically high. And I think that part of that is our problem. And social media obviously has a part to play in that as well. Now, what I mean by that is that as an industry, if through social media, all we paint is this picture of an amazing lifestyle and the the six-figure hairdresser you know, and, and, and people being able to make a great living and having a fantastic, you know, uh, quality of life, etc. If that's all we paint as a picture, then of course we are going to attract a lot of people into the industry, which we want. But if those expectations are not met, then people feel they've been sold a dud, so to speak. And that's why they're not hanging around. I did a podcast recently and on the podcast, it was with a lady called Stephanie Fox, was podcast number 113, which I highly recommend that you check out as well, because she has some great you know, data on recruitment and what employees want today. But I was talking about this with her on the podcast. And I, I said to her that there was a quote that I heard once, and it was that the secret to happiness is to lower your expectations. Now, if we go hand in hand with that previous quote, which is expectations are unrealistically high and that 80% of people are not lasting two years. Although that quote, the secret to happiness is to lower your expectations might sound negative. I think it's important that we're honest about what your earning potential is in this industry for the average person. See, if expectations are not being met, People don't stick around. As an industry, we'll often talk about the six-figure hairdresser. I know I do. And whether the six-figure hairdresser means that your earning capacity is over six figures, or whether it means that your total revenue produced is over six figures, either way, it's still potentially a good thing if you're over six figures in terms of your revenue. Now, I I just want to clarify what I mean by this. Six figures... In the US, 100,000 plus a year is, in Australian dollars, it's $135,000 a year. In British pounds, it's 75,000 pounds a year. Is that good money? Yes, that's very good money, no matter which country you're in. And is it possible to earn that? Yes, there are hairdressers everywhere that can earn and do earn that sort of money. But perhaps too many people enter our industry thinking or believing or expecting that they're going to earn that within a year or two. You see, the reality is is that most stylists earn under 30,000 US dollars a year or 41,000 Australian dollars or 22,000 pounds. That's just the reality. Now, I'm not saying that's good. Far from it. I'm not saying that's what they should earn, but that's what they earn because they're not productive enough. And in some cases, they don't charge enough to earn any more. So the problem is often, or it's more often than not, it's about we need to look at ways to maximize and increase people's productivity so that they can earn more in the traditional salon business model. And back in the traditional salon business model, staff expectations are higher. They're higher for both increased money and increased flexibility about working hours. And some of that, or our failure to do that, is because of weak management and leadership that doesn't know how to build people so that they can be more productive and therefore earn more. You can earn 50 grand a year. You can earn hundred grand a year, and you can earn more, but it doesn't happen overnight. For most people, it's going to take a few years and a five-day week to build up that sort of clientele. It's not something you're going to do, you know, for most people in three days a week. It's just not going to happen, and it's unrealistic to expect that it is. But that doesn't mean that people shouldn't work a three-day week. But there's an understandable trade-off for working a three-day week. And for many people, that trade-off means that they get more time for other hobbies or other pursuits or for family or simply just to rest and relax, whatever it is. But I'm very much about elevating the industry. I'm very much about trying to create an industry where people are well-paid and they do have a good life and businesses are profitable because there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. Today, there are new ways of working. Today, there are new ways of paying for services. There are new ways of teaching and new ways of learning. There's new ways of seeing clients. There's new business models. There's new ways of selling retail. There's new ways of communication with clients and our team members. There are always gonna be opportunities out there. These are challenging times for some people, but they're also exciting times for others. And as salon owners and managers, we need to become better managers and leaders of our people. I always say that your business is a reflection of you and that if you don't grow, then your business never will. In January 2022, we will be launching our online salon management course. So if you're interested in finding out more about it, then register your interest at growmysalonbusiness.com to be kept up to date. About the dates and when we're going to be launching it. So that's a wrap until next week when I bring together another great guest for you on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. So, what do the changes in our industry mean for you? I'd love to find out. So, don't hesitate to jump on into Instagram or Facebook at growmysalonbusiness.com and share your thoughts. And don't forget to visit us at growmysalonbusiness.com. Until then,